are listening to KBOO Portland. Hello, listeners. This is a previously recorded segment of the Oregon Coalition of Black Trading in this segment of Labor Radio on KBOO from June 2022. But before we move on to that interview, I want to remind you that this is a great time to become a member of this station. Show your support for Labor Radio by becoming a KBOO member today. Please help us meet our $70,000 end-of-the-year membership drive goal. We're community-funded, so we need all of your support to get there. Just go to kboo.fm give or text the letters KBOO2, and the number is 44321. If you have the KBOO mobile app, you can donate by clicking Donate in the app. Or, if you would like to mail them a check it into the station, please mail that to KBOO at 2020 Southeast 8th Avenue in Portland, Oregon, and that zip code is 97214. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Hello. Welcome to the Coalition by Trade Union segment of Labor Radio, highlighting the works of the working class, by the working class, and for the working class, here on KBOO 90.7 FM, where the heart of the community comes alive seven days a week. My name is Tina Turner-Morfitt. I am the Vice President of the American Federation State County Municipal Employees Retiree Union, and the current president of the Oregon Coalition of Black Trade Unionists. Tonight, I'm joined by my sisters in the struggle. Hi, I'm Dr. Audrey Terrell. I'm the vice president of the Oregon Coalition of Black Trade Unionists. I'm also a retired from the staff of the International United Auto Workers, and I'm president and CEO of the Dr. Audrey Terrell Institute. Good evening, listeners. This is Deborah Hall, and I'm the current secretary-treasurer of the Oregon Coalition of Black Trade Unionists. I'm also a retired member of the American Federation of Teachers in Oregon and a past president of the Classified Union at Portland Community College, and also currently serving as a commissioner with the Civil Service Commission for the city of Vancouver. Welcome to the show. Tonight, we're pleased to invite to our shows State Representative of the 44th District, Travis Nelson. The focus of our conversation with Representative Nelson will cover Juneteenth, his newly assigned position on the House Interim Health Care Committee, his reflection of his new role as a representative. We want to see if it's consistent with his expectations prior to his elections and his overall view of redistricting process here in Oregon, because, you know, we gained one seat. Brother Travis, congratulations on your election, first of all. So I just have a few questions uh, for you to kind of let our audience get to know who you are as we know you. Everyone has a story to tell about how they got involved in union and political activity. Can you tell us a little bit of yours? Yeah, I'm happy to do that. But to start, I just want to say thank you so much for having me on your show. I think it's wonderful that you've kept this local branch of the CBTU going. And so just just thank you so much. So yeah, a little bit about my story. I was raised in a union household. My dad worked for Welch's Foods when I was a when I was a young child. 
He also worked for Pepsi. He also worked for Dairy Gold, and he was a Teamster with all of those jobs. 30 years into being a Teamster, he retired on the Teamster's pension. And it was that early experience of seeing my dad work as a, as a union member, bringing home the union swag and walking with him on the picket line that really stuck with me when it came to the importance of labor unions. My own experience was a little different as I, as I became an adult. My early adulthood was filled with a lot of odd jobs, but my first real memorable union job was that as a union janitor working uh, for um, a school district. And that's when I really got exposed to the, the bargaining process and how unions advocate for their members. My, I really got involved with unions after becoming a registered nurse. I was working at Peace Health Southwest Medical Center. I was a pretty new nurse. And I noticed that union dues were coming out of my paycheck. And I was like, okay, what is the union doing with this money? So I showed up to a union meeting and I started asking questions. And you know what they do when you start asking questions at a union meeting. They start giving you things to do. <laughs> and so I didn't know that at the time though. So they asked me to be on the bargaining team. I asked, sure, I'm willing to do that. How, how what's the time commitment like? And they said, oh, just a, just a few hours and, 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 and you'll, that's about all we'll need you for. Well, it ended up being, I think, nine different, pretty much all day sessions. And that really taught me the value of being a union member because I saw that the management who told the nurses how great they were to their face and told the public how much they respected their nurses was not the same management that I saw at the bargaining table who was doing everything they could to try to nickel and dime nurses and were rejecting a lot of our proposals. So after contract negotiations, I decided to run for local unit co-chair and became the very first African-American co-chair of my local at Peace Health Southwest when I was in my late 20s at that time. So that's, that's really what got me into unions, got me real involved with the Washington State Nurses Association, which led to me being involved in the Oregon Nurses Association, where I went on to become the, the, the first African-American vice president in Oregon Nurses Association history. All right. Awesome. Awesome. So now that you've been elected, what is your overall impression of your state role? Yeah, you know, um, I, I've been involved in politics for a while. Um, I've been an officer of the Democratic Party of Oregon for several years. I've represented Oregon on the Democratic National Committee. I've done some citizen lobbying. I've done a little bit of lobbying on behalf of nurses. So I had a pretty good idea of what the role entailed. So I'm not too surprised by what I've run into. The thing that's probably most shocking is how much work you have to do for how little the pay actually is. And so that's what I'm figuring out right now. I'm figuring out that balance. I had to resign as vice president of the Oregon Nurses Association in order to, to try to achieve some of that work-life balance. And I'm readjusting a lot of my priorities to really make the work that I'm doing as, legislature, as, as a legislator my number one priority. Okay. And so how do, do your, your impressions now measure up to what your expectations were going into the job? Yeah, like I was saying, I knew pretty much what the job entailed from, you know, that thousand foot perspective. It is a lot different though, being there on the ground, being there in Salem, having to deal with the 
constituent phone calls, the constituent emails, that has gotten real, real. I was appointed and sworn in on February 1st at 7.30 in the morning. I started the short session at 8 a.m. and I was off and running for that whole month of short sessions. But the work has been extremely gratifying so far. I knew it would be. I'm looking forward to the long session and having my own bills to help champion through the long session in 2023. All right, thank you. And so um, again, so prior to your um, election uh, to this democratic office, what were your passions that you defended in your everyday life? Yeah, I, I'd say I'm known in the community for really being an advocate of, of health equity, for healthcare for every single person. I'm a big supporter of, of, of a Medicare for all system. I think we've got to get there in the United States. I think there's way too much profit in healthcare. And I think if we eliminate, eliminate a whole lot of that, then there'll be a whole lot money to a whole lot more money to ensure that people have the high quality access to healthcare that, that we all need. Also racial equity, gender equity, LGBTQ plus equity, those are also things I think I've been I've been known for fighting for. I mentioned that I've been active in the Democratic Party of Oregon for many years. One of the things that I'm that I was able to get accomplished was getting the DPO to approve its first ever resolution on Black Lives Matter. I also helped uh, right. to get the DPO to champion a, a resolution honoring the life and legacy of, of George Floyd. Thank you. Brother Travis, again, congratulations. Thank you, thank you. Recently, Oregon, along with the rest of the nation, celebrated Juneteenth in Pride. How did you earmark these celebrations? I was at the parade and I had a blast. <laughs> yeah, I had a busy weekend. I had a busy weekend. Uh, Juneteenth uh, started off on Saturday, even though Juneteenth was technically Sunday. We started off with the parade and then went to the, went to the festival. The parade started off really great. Um, I had a good time in the parade. The only negative thing I think I'd point out is that it started to rain at the end, and I think that put a little bit of a little bit of a damper on the end of the parade. A lot of people caught the shuttles back to where we started the parade instead of hanging out more. And I think if it had been sunny and and not so wet, we would have had a much better turnout there at the at the festival. Uh, that said, um, I had a great time visiting the booth, seeing a lot of people I hadn't seen in person in a long time. That was a lot of fun. And then on Sunday, I did go down to the Pride Parade and I, I marched with the with the Democrats and had a, had a good time doing that. We were near the back. So there was a lot of time to catch up with people again who I hadn't talked to in a long time, uh, but it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it, even though I did get wet, but I still had a good time. Uh, could you think of one lasting impression, the Juneteenth celebration and the Clara People's Trail Parade? Just one lasting thing you want to share with everyone. The one lasting thing, I, I think if there's something I came away with, it's just the importance of community and really staying connected and really staying grounded. It was wonderful. We're, we staged at the Safeway parking lot on MLK and Ainsworth. And it was really great being in that parking lot saying uh, a lot of black faces. Um, there are not a whole lot of places you go to in Portland where you see nearly every face um, being a face that looks like yours and where it's hundreds of people gathered together at once. 
And so it was it was really good to connect with people, uh, have conversation, and just mm -hmm. reestablish connections that have been suspended during the you know the last two years now that we've been uh, navigating this COVID nineteen pandemic. So how do you how would you go about convincing other legislative and statewide officers about the value of attending the Juneteenth celebration celebration? Yeah, so um, I actually, um, in the legislature, we have a BIPOC caucus, and there's, I think at this point, there's 12 or 13 of us, and it's the BIPOC uh, members of the legislature. We had a call, and I spoke up about Juneteenth and told everybody mm -hmm. that I was going to have uh, in, an entry into the, into the parade. I was bringing my banner. And so there actually were quite a bit of legislators that showed up to the, the Juneteenth celebration. Um, I, I know Tina Kotek showed up. I think she was the only candidate for governor that showed up and, and marched in the parade. Uh, a Andrea Valderrama, uh, Representative Valderrama, uh, Representative Tana Sanchez, whose district Juneteenth, actually the Juneteenth parade was actually in, she was there. Uh, I know Senator Lou Frederick, uh, yes. who is the senator. Yes, he was there, I saw him, yes. Showed up as well. So mm -hmm. we had several folks turn, turn, turn out uh, it might have been nice to have even more, but you know, Juneteenth is one of those. We're, we're going through an interesting time with that holiday, right? Because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. black people in general, we've known about Juneteenth for a long time, and white people, in my experience, largely are just beginning to mm -hmm. learn about Juneteenth, and it's something that's relatively new to a whole lot of to a lot of white people. And I, I, I I'm kind of finding that there are a lot of black people who are protective of the holiday and are really concerned that it's going to be hijacked and that um, it's going to be just another day uh, off for, you know, our white brothers and sisters. So with a um, sale, what's that? With a sale going on. <laughs> with the sale going on. You know, I don't know if y'all saw that Walmart ice cream they were going to, they were going to put out for Juneteenth. Luckily they snatched it before they put it out. But um, I know a lot of people are concerned cow. that, yeah, you should look that up. But I know a lot of people are concerned that that it will be appropriated. And I think there may be some legislators who, who are a little concerned about that. Uh, that said, I do think it's important to make sure that our, our, our lawmakers are participating in, in Juneteenth events. And I saw at the festival, um, Senator Merkley and Senator Wyden uh, both spoke, and I, I thought that was wonderful. Yes, yes, I heard them, yes. So what are your views of the reported growth here in Oregon reflected in the recent 2020 U.S. Census? Yeah, well, um, Portland's getting bigger. Um, Oregon is getting more racially diverse. And I, I think it's a good thing. Uh, I think earlier you mentioned that Oregon's getting another congressional seat. And we're getting that because of that expansion in population. So as, as you said, uh, Oregon gain additional congressional seat. What was your district? Was your district affected by the redistricting process? Yeah, this district, House District 44, was definitely affected. Now, it's a legislative seat and not a House, uh, a congressional seat, excuse me. So it wasn't affected as far as the congressional district that it's in. It's still an Earl Blumenauer's congressional district, and that has not changed. What did change because Portland has gotten more dense and has grown faster than the rest of the state, is the, the district shrank. So St. John's here in North Portland and the St. John's Bridge used to be in the district. 
the bridge is actually no longer in the district and I lost a chunk of St. John's. Uh, the district used to go east of the uh, of I-205. It no longer goes east of I-205. And it got scrunched up to the north a little bit more than it had been in the in the past. So uh, the district has definitely changed, got more compact as a result of Portland growing faster than the rest of the state. And just one more last question from me, because uh, I could talk to you all night. How do you go about voicing the needs of increasing non-white population in the state house while also speaking on behalf of your constituents that live in District 44? Yeah, uh, thank you for that question. So I am the only African-American man in the House of Representatives, and I definitely understand the responsibility of being that lone voice amongst 60. Now, Representative Janelle Bynum is there as well. There will be both her and I for the next two years in, in Salem. But I think there's a unique responsibility for her being the only African-American woman and for me being the only African-American male, especially given the fact that I'm LGBTQ as well, which is a, a first in the history of, of Oregon. But when it comes down to being a voice, House District 44 is actually the most diverse house district west of 82nd Avenue. So uh, we have a pretty significant black population for Oregon and for Portland. We have a pretty significant black and brown population here in this district. And I, I think that's a small part of the reason why folks in this district chose me. Um, I, I think folks saw the entire package that I was bringing to the table, my experience in the party, my experience as a nurse, and also that life experience that that I have that's that's so needed um, down in Salem. So I, I definitely plan on speaking up on equity. I'm already having a lot of conversations with hospitals that I'm meeting with and public agencies. I'm wanting to see their EEO one form because you can tell me all you want that you're doing so great on uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and hiring people of color, but your EEO one form will actually tell tell me that. For those of you who don't know, employers who employ more than 100 people every year have to submit an EEO-1 form to the, to the federal government, which states what their workforce looks like when it comes to gender and race as reported by the people who actually work for the organization. And what I'm finding so far has been pretty interesting. Thank you, my brother. And we're proud of you. For our listeners just tuning in, you're listening to the Coalition of Black Trade Unions segment of Labor Radio, highlighting the works of the working class, by the working class, for the working class, here on KBOO 90.7 FM, where the heart of the community comes alive seven days a week. So uh, this is Tina. Um, some elect elected officials have spoken about a specific epiphany that guided them towards politics. Did you have one? And if so, what was it? Yeah, for me, it was Barack Obama becoming president. <laughs> and it was his whole run, actually. Um, I volunteered for him. And yeah, his, his presidency and him becoming president really inspired me. I actually went to his inauguration on pretty short notice, just decided I was going to do it. I was going to be part of that historic historic moment. I didn't have sure. tickets to anything, just got a got a plane <laughs> and 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 figured out a way when it came to accommodations. And it was a it was a life altering experience for sure. 
And then towards the end of Obama's presidency, I decided to run to be a delegate to the Democratic National Convention, which is how I think I really first started to get to, to get to know Miss Tina through the work I was doing in the party kind of leading, leading up to 2016. Okay. So thus far in your young years, you are the current officer of the Democratic Party of Oregon. You were selected to cast electoral votes for Oregon at the 2020 Democratic Convention. You are the regional Western Regional Director of the Democratic National Committee Black Caucus, and now you're a state representative of the 44th District. How do you manage to keep focused on all this work that you're doing? Yeah, well, like I said earlier, finding balance is something that I'm working on. <laughs> and I think, I'm, I think I'm getting closer. I, you know, I don't have, I don't have kids. I don't have a significant other. My work is, is my family in a lot of ways. And I'm, I'm very passionate about the work that I do. And I feel extremely grateful to have been put in the position I've been put in and feel grateful that I've been able to advocate for people like me, not only within our state party, but within our national party as well. I've, I've had okay. some some amazing experiences and I just, I'm trying to do the best I can with all the work. That said, there are things I'm gonna be doing less of as I get more deeply involved in the legislative work. Okay. Well, you have a long career as a nurse and are a member of the Oregon Nurses Association. How does that intersect with your selection to, to, to sit on the House Interim Healthcare Committee? Yeah, Healthcare Committee is a committee that I really, really wanted, and I made it clear to the speaker that I wanted it. There was no guarantees that I was going to get it. When um, I served in the short session, I was on uh, the Behavioral Health Committee and on the Human Services Committee and, and on Transportation and Economic Development. But healthcare is something that I really, really wanted. Um, like I stated earlier, I am the immediate past vice president of the Oregon Nurses Association. I've been bargaining union contracts for nurses for many, many years. I was the first coach, black co-chair of my, of my local when I was at the bedside. And I've been a nurse for nearly 20 years now. And I think I bring a unique experience, not only as somebody who is African-American and LGBTQ, but as somebody who's been a nurse I've worked in the ER, I've worked in critical care, I've worked on wow. inpatient rehab, I've been a case manager. So I bring a unique perspective and a unique skill set and unique experience to this role and I, I look forward to making an impact. Okay, so what's the chief purpose of this committee? Yeah, so um, the House Health Care Committee is the committee that bills pertaining to health care generally run through. So in the Oregon legislature, most of the work on bills is actually done in the committees. And then the bills that make it out of committee then go to the floor for a vote, and then they go to the other chamber. So the, uh, the healthcare committee is really that committee that's charged with making sure that the, the best bills on healthcare actually go to the floor for a vote. So I, I, I'm looking forward to doing that work. Okay. And what are your priorities do while doing this committee work? Well, I'm a big proponent of single payer health care, and I'm 
I, I know Oregon on its own can't get Medicare for all done because that is a national program. Mm -hmm. But I want to do all I can to ensure that every single Oregonian has access, quick, fairly quick access to lower no cost uh, healthcare. That's extremely important to me. I think we can get that done in Oregon. Uh, I also want to do all that I can to make sure that as a state, we're doing all we can to mitigate for racism and discrimination in healthcare. There is a lot when it, a lot of discrimination in healthcare. I was part of a bill in the short session relating to healthcare, excuse me, racism as a public health crisis. Uh, there are some strategies that were put in place to help support the, that initiative, but I think there's a lot more that we need to do and that we can do to hold uh, healthcare organizations and our system accountable for the, the racism within the system. Sweet. Well, thanks a lot. So, Brother Travis, a few more questions for you. While it's a little early in your tenure as a House representative, what have you worked on this far that you're most proud of? Well, well, in the short session, we worked on the strategies relating to racism as a public health crisis. I was very proud of that. I spoke to that legislation on the House floor. Uh, I also spoke on the House floor about being a black man who's been stopped uh, at least 30 times, probably 40 wow. plus by law enforcement and how that's had an impact on me. And outside of the short session, having conversations with hospitals, healthcare systems, and with state agencies and really, you know, asking them about the work that they're doing on DEI and to ensure that their workforce looks like the community. That's that's all been important work that I've been glad to be a part of. Beautiful, beautiful. You also have a previous opinion regarding Medicare for All. <clears throat> How will you interweave these beliefs in your participation on the Interim Health Care Committee? Yeah, I think some of that is to be determined. Um, again, Medicare for All is a national system, but here in Oregon, work has already been started on pushing Oregon towards being a state that has universal health care. So you may know that there's actually going to be a ballot measure in November that will ask Oregonians if health care is a human right. Uh, it's my hope that Oregonians will say yes to that. There's also work being done by a universal health care task force that will have a report that's due in the not too distant future. And they're actually holding forums right now. I think there's two more forums left and they're seeking community feedback and input. So work is being done now. I have a feeling that 2023 uh, is gonna be a big year for healthcare in Oregon and moving that ball forward. And I look forward to being a part of that conversation and, and doing that work. It's gonna be exciting. Thank you. So let me just do a little follow-up follow to that. So if there is I'm a yes vote on the ballot, what does that mean? Yeah, so a yes will, a yes from the voters will change the Oregon, or the Oregon Constitution to say that healthcare is a human right. So um, while it won't actually direct the legislature to, to do anything, um, because that will be in the Oregon Constitution, that should empower the legislature to act on the recommendations from this Universal Healthcare Task Force to move, move us closer to a state that offers healthcare to every single person living in our state. Oh man, that's fabulous. Thank you, thank you. All right, all right. 
And so, Brother Travis, how could our listeners stay in contact with you during your tenure as a House representative? Yeah, thank you so much. So I've been appointed to fill out the remainder of Tina Kotek's term. She was Speaker of the House, resigned to run for governor. So I'm filling out the remainder of her, of her term. I won the primary in May. I still have a general election in November, even though I don't have a Republican opponent, but I will not officially be the representative in this district for the next two years until after the November election. That said, I can be reached um, at um, through my website, uh, nelsonfororegon.com, or you can just uh, Google Representative Travis Nelson and email my uh, legislative email. But I'm also on Twitter. I'm pretty active there, and I'm also on Facebook. So uh, hit me up at either one of those places. Uh, I'd love to touch base with you. All right, thank you. So, you know, I'm just going to throw a little joke in. So judging by how things are done federally, so since you're in to finish um, um, spe uh, Speaker Kotex term, wouldn't you be the speaker as well? Ah, oh, sorry. No, 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 no. <laughs> right? I mean, right? No. I mean, wait, huh? That's not uh, exactly how it works. And with well, but, but, but can we say that that's how it works? <laughs> yeah, it works. I'm definitely not going to be speaker, being a, being a freshman legislator. The speaker I now is you. actually Dan Rayfield, and I believe there will be another, an, in all likelihood, he will be this the speaker for as long as he wants to be, but I do believe there will be another vote in 2023 on on Speaker of the House for the for that biennium. Um, and the way that that works is it's really a majority vote in the House of Representatives. Whoever gets the most votes becomes the Speaker of the House, and those votes are typically somewhat along party lines. So if the majority are Democrats in the House, then the Speaker is going to be a Democrat, and, and when the majority are Republicans and which has been a while, uh, the speaker will generally be a Republican. I'm hoping, I'm praying, I'm going to do the legwork to ensure that that Democrats, pro-union pro Democrats, pro-labor Democrats, pro-racial and health equity Democrats yes. win in November uh, because we cannot afford to let these Trump Republicans take our legislature, people who want to 